0: This is the Scott Bradley Show Podcast.
1: Don, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff going on I want to talk to you about. Um, Let's start with this, the obvious one. Hamilton Ticats 0-7 lose again and lose badly again. The score flattered them because had Winnipeg just punched in a few of their drives early in the game as opposed to kicking field goals, this thing could have been another nasty, nasty blowout. You now, and I looked this up today, Hamilton Tiger Cats, since Bob Young took over, so 2004 was the year he took over. Since Bob Young took over, they are now 92-148. and 148. They have had three winning seasons, including this year. I'm, I'm counting that this year is not going to be a winning season because they're 0-7. It would be a miracle if they turned it around and had a winning season. They've had three winning seasons and those winning seasons were nine, eight, and one. So barely a winning season. And then two, 10, and eight seasons. Again, hardly an overwhelming, dominating steamroll through the league kind of seasons. The business model for the Hamilton Ticats may be much healthier now than it was once upon a time. But is there any way to look at... What's happened in the Bob Young era and not suggest the people in the decision-making positions have done an an unacceptably poor job that this is this is three winning seasons out of 14 is not something you want to put on your resume? Well, no, I'm not
0: familiar with that. I mean, real McCoys are about 15 out of 18 winning seasons and that's but where does it it's I mean, pretty it, good but you, you start looking at the entire structure yes but from a business model the reason they're uh, close to sellouts every night out if everybody everybody doesn't sit in all the seats but they have a lot of sellouts but they made the they made the stadium smaller they gave them a brand new stadium and you know you can dine out on that for a little while but you know, it, sooner or later at every sports organization, when you look at the top of it and the guy that makes the decisions on who to hire the football staff has to be accountable. And this year they seem to be avoiding
1: that. I mean, they're... They've had a couple fall guys. They've made Bold a fall guy. And that fooled who? Nobody. And... And they hired June Jones, which sort of suggests that Steph Potasek is a fall guy. And again I don't think clearly from the first game under both those guys. Now I mean it's one game but there was no big positive change on either side of the ball.
0: Who's uh, who hired those guys and who hired the guy that hired those guys? Like I joked last time. I mean I was away and then uh, we had a week off because of the long weekend, but I joked last time I think that they're only 0 and 4 because they've only played four games. Yeah. It's not it's, it, that's not even funny now.
1: And you pointed out and, and the joint was full. And you point out though. Like I'll show you pictures that I took off the TV that that I had sent to me from the stadium. There were a lot of empty seats at that game. They announced something like twenty three thousand out of twenty four thousand. There's not four or five hundred empty seats in that place. There. So this to me, if you're arguing that we that the Tie Cats almost sold that game out, if I believe that that's true, what that means is Don, that there are several thousand people who would rather pay good money and then not even bother going to the game that's worse than not selling it out or not selling a lot of tickets it would be better for you to say we didn't sell four or five thousand seats than to say we had 4 thousand people three thousand people whatever decide they bought tickets and would rather not even go to the game than use those tickets that's insulting that that's embarrassing you remember how
0: bad the Leafs used to be in the joke was they had two tickets to the Toronto Maple Leafs on my dashboard, and somebody broke into my car and left four. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's an analogy, and it's kind of humorous, but that's what they're faced with. And, you know, I it's easy to take shots at an owner, but, you know, God bless Bob Young. I'm not taking shots at Bob Young. I understand. But I'm saying a lot of it's easy to do that, and I didn't say you were. But I'm saying to you, if Bob Young wasn't prepared to lose, i assuredly millions of dollars. I'm not sure there'd be a Hamilton Ticat football team right now.
1: Bob Young has hired people to run this organization. And as I say, the business side may be healthier than it's ever been before. But the football team for 14 years now with a couple spots of good play for most of 14 years, for most of 14 years has been not good. I don't think I have enough liability insurance to
0: say what I'd like to, but you're on to something.
1: No, and and you talked about the fact. Very that, obvious. No, but you talked about the fact that it the the stadium that it's sold out or close to it because they got a smaller stadium. Imagine if they were still an Ivor win with thirty thousand seats. It's in what, the same. It's in the same place because of the Ticats. Yeah, but imagine if it was. Imagine if they still had thirty thousand seats. What last Saturday's game would have looked like in the stands? Would look like the Vanier Cup. Well, not quite that bad, but no, it's it's this team. Honestly, this I look at this team right now, and I I. We, we all know winning helps, Scott.
0: Of the, course it the does. The Jays were drawing, and you know what? For for bad teams for a lot of years in a row, the Jays were drawing 23,000 people. As soon as they started to win, instantaneously it was full. They, they have massive crowds. If you think about how the Jays are doing. So there's no doubt about it that winning equates to people wanting to go to games. And you're right. There are people that are obviously buying tickets that aren't attending the games. That might be the ultimate insult. I'd rather pay. So where does the, where does, where and sit at home and have a barbecue yeah. and have a glass of wine and a steak than waste my Saturday night going to a Tic game? So, I can if that's not means, good for business. No,
1: so if it's in the f- first quarter, if it's already lopsided, I can do something else with my evening instead of being locked in. That I mean, that's that's so ultimately then, who at, at this point you're 0 and 7, really, the season, uh, believe it or not, they're still in it. Because the, East, the the season is so bad. We'll, well, The East is so bad. We will we will get to this again. We've talked about this before. We're going to talk about it again. The fact that the Ticats could still make the playoffs and could still finish first in the East and have home field advantage and a bye, which would, if that were to ever happen, that would destroy the credibility of the CFL. If the Hamilton Ticats that start 0-7 lost 60-1, to put together a few games winning streak and somehow beat up a couple bad Eastern teams and finish first and get a bye in the first round of the playoffs, this league should be embarrassed. That cannot happen for the, for the credibility of this league. But I wouldn't be fearful of that. Hmm? There's no evidence it's going to happen. Ottawa stinks. Toronto doesn't have Ricky Ray and they're not that good. Montreal doesn't look that good. Hamilton plays this week against Ottawa. If, Al- if Hamilton wins... They are one point out of third place. They are one point out of third place, and uh, they'd be four points out of second place. And they've got, of course, two games left with Toronto, at least two with Montreal, maybe three. They've got another one with Ottawa. I, this, this week, honestly, I really believe that this, is, this game, as painful as it is to say this for the credibility of the league, this game is the most important game of the year, because if they beat Ottawa... They're in it. They're, they are right in it. If they lose to Ottawa, now you got huge
0: problems. I heard Rick Zamprin talking this morning about their record over the last 18 games. Yes, not good. So this is not a new a new development for them. You know, Claris was hurt last year, and that was the reason. But if I'm, my memory serves me correctly from today, he hasn't won since he came back.
1: I think he's... he's, he's- Eleven games in a row he's lost now as a starter, I believe. Yeah, so since he came back from injury, has he has he has he had a win?
0: And if he has, he certainly isn't the reincarnation of Joe
1: Zuger. There is something there is something wrong with the Ticats, and it's not just a this year kind of thing. And I, I don't know the full answer to this thing, but look at the Calgary Stampeders. Look at the BC line. These are teams that, you know, the Calgary Stampeders, they get a guy injured. Look at Edmonton. Edmonton has their entire starting lineup pretty much is injured. But, and they keep winning. Right? And yeah, they're and, playing the Ticats. But not just that. they they're undefeated this year. They've uh-huh. played other teams. They've played teams in the West and they're undefeated. So you gotta live with
0: the injuries, is what you're saying. Good teams have the depth. And, and the basic fundamentals to be able to carry on, like the Montreal Canadiens did back in the 70s. Not only they that. They bring guys up from Sherbrooke and Nova Scotia, and you they wouldn't miss a beat, not and only they that, continue Don, to win.
1: Yes, that's, that's absolutely true. But not only that, the other side of it is, if you have a bad season, and some of these teams have had bad seasons. Edmonton had a crappy season. Within a year, maybe two, they are back to being dominant. When in the, When in the last 15 years... Have the Hamilton Tiger Cats been dominant? You can't point to one year where they've been a dominant team. Your rebuild is a constant rebuild, and they are the best they've done is ten and eight. Now they got to two Grey Cups. I, I, you know, that's fine. Although I will say that in the CFL, when you have to win maybe one game, sometimes two games to get to the Grey Cup, it, it does mean that if you get hot or have a good game at the right time, you can get there. I'm not. I'm not poo-pooing it, but that's I'm football. saying that's football. That's not, football. I don't like it, but it's football. The fact is, there has not been a period in the, there has not been a season in the past fifteen years that the Hamilton Ticats have been dominant. Edmonton now. Edmonton had a crappy year a couple of years ago. They are now looking dominant. Calgary is always dominant. Look, almost every almost every other team in the CFL has had spectacular well, years. At Ottawa's
0: won a Grey Cup. How long they've been back?
1: Fourth year. This is their fourth year, I think. Montreal for the longest time was dominant. Third or fourth year in back in the league as an expansion team,
0: they won a Grey Cup. They didn't get to it; they won it. Uh, now they're 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 not exactly world beaters this year. Here's the but the CFL you can rebuild so quickly because there's because all you need is some good Canadians, right? You need some good Canadian linemen. The rest of the guys you can fill in from the NFL, from college, U.S. college. It's almost a free agent type of a league if you've got a core of good Canadians, which means you need good scouting and good drafting. And the Oilers, in hockey, screwed it up for a long time. They seem to have it right now. They've got Connor McDavid. But they've, they've dumped away a whole bunch of other guys. Football's so much easier. You can go down there and get NFL cuts that can certainly play in the league if you've got a good Canadian core.
1: Well, and you can, and as people have said, uh, and Rick Zamperin does a fantastic job on the fifth quarter. If you don't listen to the fifth quarter after Ticat games, you should be, because Rick does an amazing job and they've been very entertaining. But as a number of callers have said, look around the CFL at all the former Ticats who are now starring on other teams. That were here. That were here, that somehow were not good enough to stick around, or that... We're not that the team here, the franchise here, didn't want to pay them to stick around. But if you're going to pay a guy X dollars to come in here and not play well, and you pay him a little bit more, and you get a guy who you know plays well, it seems to me to make a lot of sense. If I'm going to go to the theater, I don't go to the theater much, but if I'm buying a ticket to a play in New York on Broadway, and for eighty bucks I can get a terrible seat, or a hundred bucks I can get a pretty good seat, you pay a hundred bucks. If you're going to pay the eighty, pay the hundred, yeah, and get it, and so. I look at this and I go, these guys, there's, there's lots of players around that are doing very well or have done very well outside the tie cats. Here's the reason why. i got to go to break. But here's the reason why. Even if you're a diehard Ticat fan, at this point, it becomes very clumsy to actually be hoping they finish first in the East and get that bye and earn that home field advantage. Because if that's the case... If the Ticats get hot over the next few games and they turn it on and pass some of these Eastern teams and get into first place and get that position, what that means is that at least in the east of the CFL, everything before Labor Day is an extended preseason. It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter at all. And so why in the world would I want to buy a ticket and spend my money if they manage to get into that position? Why would I want to go and buy a ticket and spend my money to go watch something that's an exhibition game? They call it a regular season game. But if you can go 0-7 and still end up finishing first and get a bye, that means nothing before Labor Day basically means anything.
0: CFL's had to dine out on that along with the Ticats for a long time because everybody's always said this: the league doesn't get better till after the NFL cuts. So when you talk about it being an extended exhibition series – that's been common knowledge for a long time. The good teams have good Canadians and compete, and they're entertaining all the time. The teams that are struggling wait to see who's going to be available, and now in the East, if, if the Ticats pick up two or three, I don't know how bad they are, but if they pick up two or three or four or five of the real good NFL cuts, it can turn your season around, which speaks to your point that I guess the real season starts on Labor Day, and that's a, that's a tough thing to sell.
1: This, this is the year. Again, it's happened before, but this is the year that should force the CFL to go to one division. And therefore, what you do before Labor Day will matter. Because if you it will really matter. Because if you suddenly now, even if you squeeze in and get sixth place, if you start 0-7 and somehow squeeze in, you're going to have to play Calgary or Edmonton in the first game of the playoffs there. Or no, it wouldn't be them because they'd have a bye. But you'd play a really good team away from home and you'll probably get squashed. It will matter. That you start well, And they can do that, Scott. Because of it, course they can do it, that. It still keeps their local
0: rivalries during the regular season. You still get the Toronto, Toronto's, the Ottawa's, and the Montreal's during the regular season, which you need for draws. I don't know why you need them for draws because it's not it's not like Ottawa fans are driving here by the drove to fill the rain, or fill the stadium, or the people of Montreal, maybe Toronto. Toronto can't get enough people to have a game of bridge. Yeah,
1: it's it, there's there are issues here and. Uh, you know, I hope, because I know how many Ticat fans there are, I hope that this team can finally figure it out. I mean, the whole team, the whole franchise, the whole organization. Because 14 years of mostly, with as I say, with a few spurts in there, but mostly mediocre to below mediocre football, and you want people to continue buying the product and coming to the stadium and filling the place, that's asking a lot of even the most diehard fans. They deserve better than that. They deserve the people here. If they keep filling the place, deserve to watch Calgary or watch a team like Calgary. I mean, or other teams that are continually good, not teams that might have a good season or two after three or four horrible seasons, and then you're back to being horrible again. That's there's something there's something clearly wrong with this. Anyway, you're listening to the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from seven to nine on
2: AM nine hundred
1: CHML. Don, uh, let's stick with the CFL for one minute because this, I thought was very interesting from this week. Many people saw, there's a lot of f- soccer fans, when I say football, different kind of football, there's a lot of soccer fans around, and everyone knows Cristiano Ronaldo. One of the two, maybe three best players in the world. Some say the hottest. Well, th- I think that most people would, most women would probably say he is the best looking. I don't um, judge, but I know who those would do. You know, when, when he's got his shirt off, And I get up in the morning and look in the mirror. I I can't even tell the difference, so I I guess I'm just used to it. Anyway, um, got a little uh, hot under the collar, speaking of hotness. And he had almost a breakaway in a game on the weekend. Uh, Defender cut him off and looked like they kind of tangled legs a little bit. And he goes down in the penalty area. Thought he should get a free kick. Penalty. Instead, the referee flashes the yellow card and everyone's thinking, oh, it's for tackling him in the box. Uh Uh-uh. For diving. They said he dove. It does not look like he dove. Regardless, that, that's what set him off. What he did next was he got up, the ref flashed a red card at him, and he then goes up and you saw the video, gave what I would describe as a slight push. He put one hand on the ref's kind of his flank on the on his back and gave him a little bit of a push. Didn't shove the ref over. I wouldn't describe it as violent, but he put his hand on an official which is the essential ingredient of this discussion? He put his hand on an official, and that is a no-no, and got five games, five-game suspension. Which in their league, it's thirty-eight games. It's it's not an insignificant penalty. In the CFL, and the and one of the best players in the oh, world, and yeah, and your superstar player, the <laughs> best player. This would be, this would be like having Wayne Gretzky or having Crosby. Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid, where we know that in most leagues. We know that in most leagues, the best players get lighter touches. Little, little, cut them a little slack. They're selling tickets. They're selling tickets. So, but we so uh, Cristiano Ronaldo gets five games in the CFL earlier this year. We had a guy on the Ticats. I'm not trying to pick on the TyCats today, but it, it just comes up this way. Will Hill, who's no longer with the team, they released him, and not for this, grabbed an official by the collar and got right in his face, and basically it was. I mean, he grabbed him by the collar. I don't know how else to explain it. While well, he was, it, And it was an aggressive move. There was nothing accidental about it. And he got one game, done. Who's right? Who's right? I, I think I know the answer, but which league is right? Is it the right one to give five games for touching a ref? Or one game, well, the ref didn't get hurt. He didn't punch him. Is it one game? Is that the right answer?
0: Well, as a former referee... I can tell you that any league worth their salt and if it happened in the OHA the ban probably would have been uh, based on what uh, Will did would have been for the balance of the season.
1: Oh if, if Dave Branch was doing the uh, yeah. the OHL he would be done. Yep.
0: Yeah. And when a league will not show the officials the respect they deserve then you have to you have to bear the consequences of that. Now is I I'd said when we looked at the uh, when we looked at the video when Will Hill was up for um, the decision hadn't been made yet. It was a Monday night, obviously. I said, I think he should get six games. You thought he might get two, I, I
1: believe. I think it was two or three, something he, like that. He yeah. got one. He got one. That's, and they said that was precedent, although i got to be honest, I, I can't believe there was precedent for the way he grabbed a ref, I, I believe there may be precedent in the CFL for having made contact with an official. He grabbed him by the scruff of the bloody neck. Yeah, this is this is so. Precedent is two different things, right? Yeah. Precedent. Or and it can be. pushed him. It was a schoolyard push from behind, and not even hard enough that the ref was like falling over or but something. He's gone. Five but, games. And that's I'm, the way to run a league. Yeah, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not belittling again, I'm not poo-pooing what Ronaldo did. He touched an official and they say we will not allow this in any way, shape, or form. So even if it's a slight push, that's five games. I I, I, I this is this is two different leagues handling the same or a similar-ish situation. And I think, you know, one league got it right. Maybe even could have given more. Ronaldo, because I believe I heard today that I believe that that league, the the maximum you could get for touching an official, I think it was either 12 or 14 games. It was 4 to 14, I believe, or 4 to 12, which was the range. But some people said, well, he should have got more. The fact is, if he it, this was a minor touching of the official. If he'd slugged the guy... You're talking about something else, and again I'm, again, I'm not. I'm not clearly. If he'd have done what Will Hill had done, oh, he would have grabbed got them by the scruff 12. of the neck. He would have got twelve. He'd have got the max. Yeah, he would have got twelve,
0: and he's their superstar. He yep. is their Wayne Gretzky. He is their Connor McDavid. I wonder he if
1: he gets a uh, if he's a f- if he loses his pay for those games because that's like more than some small African countries will have in a year in their GDP. The fine yeah. that he would get from losing five be, games, at
0: least as much as you get paid for the show yeah, annually,
1: at basis. least, at least. I... I applaud a league that says we have strict, strict, strict rules in play for the dealing with our officials. You have to have them. You have to have those kind of rules in play. What leagues
0: like that have, the same as the CFL, the same as the OHL, and the same as the NHL, everybody squawks, bitches and squawks about the officiating in all those leagues. But rest assured that those leagues don't turn away good officials because they don't like the way they comb their hair. Every league, the CFL, the Soccer League, the National Hockey League, all have the best af- available officials doing all their games. It's not a lockout where they got uh, high school guys doing these games. You have to respect the officials because everybody's always mad at the officials, including coaches and owners and general managers when they lose. It's generally they're trying to find fault with the referee because it's an easy escape card. But rest assured, guys like Dave Fox caught. Foxcroft are the finest officials available in, to the CFL show them some respect you have to stand up for your officials the soccer league the, the world soccer league they do that what happens? they're saying now,
1: these are the best in the world and if you don't like it we're going to suspend you you can't touch them what happens to the next guy who's thinking about touching an official now I don't know in the in the heat of the moment if they would think about this but if you have a split second to think and you go wait Cristiano Ronaldo, world's best player, second-best player, got five games for barely touching him. If I make contact with an official, what am I going to get? Yeah, you're getting life. Uh, And uh, whether that will cross a player's mind in the heat of the moment, I don't know.
0: Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. The the, the premier athletes and and the guys that are a bit of a hothead in, in a league, the common sense guys won't. But if they're really upset, they snap. But they have to understand the consequences. But it's not just
1: the heat of the moment, right? Because all the players now, you you have to believe that every player in that league and probably every soccer player in the world is talking about the suspension to Cristiano Ronaldo today. he
0: got five games for that? So
1: it's not even just having that moment flash into your head when you have a moment of rage. You're going to be thinking about this one for days leading up to it, which may cause you to... Have basically prepared yourself that I would never ever do that, even if there was a thought that you might. Because I don't think I think most players have been trained over their entire life. You don't touch the official. So are you are you, are you trying
0: to suggest that the the standard with Ronaldo and in in, uh, in the Premier Soccer League in the world they get it? Yes, hundred percent. And in the CFL, they drop the ball. So, somebody that's going to do that goes. Okay, short of body slamming and we're grabbing by the scruff of the neck and throwing them to the ground, I'm only getting one game. Is that this? I mean, I think that's the implication there, and I think you're dead
1: on. They dropped the ball, and I'm hoping, I really hope, and it's something that I thought you couldn't do this kind of thing till the end of the season when you maybe could have a clean slate. But the CFL did change a rule about the replays. They they've shown they will change rules mid season if it's wrong. I would have if. I don't know how you do it. Maybe there are lawyers, maybe the agents are fighting this, but what agent is fighting against a player not touching an official? You send out a memo today or the day that it happened and you said because of precedent here's what he's getting. But we're warning you that this is changing now. Every as of this moment the line has changed. If you touch an official that we had to do this by precedent, but we are we're changing what our rule is in this and we're implementing a minimum of X game suspension. I, I haven't heard that yet. I'm hoping they will. In the offseason, at the very least, I would hope the CFL and any other league that doesn't have a stiff enough penalty for touching officials would put something in that says, You touch an official intentionally. Again, we're not even talking about someone bumping him because you're running and looking the other way. We've seen that happen before. We, we see accidental stuff. That's not it. You touch an official intentionally, it's a third of the season on first offense. Two-thirds of the season on second offense, and the third time you do it, you're up for a full season. Now let's see who wants to touch an official.
0: We had a guy from the uh, in our league this year, never touched an official, never got within 25 feet of him, was suspended for the balance of the year for what he said. You have to be respectful of officials.
1: I agree. I agree. And I, I one of these leagues got it. And I applaud the soccer league because it had to hurt to suspend your meal ticket that much. That had to hurt. You know, there are tickets not being sold because of that. I applaud them for doing it anyway, because it was the right thing to do. You're listening to the Scott Radley show. Weeknights from seven to nine on AM 900 CHML. Don, we have got a thing coming up in, um, in major league baseball, which is very interesting. Uh, last time we saw something like this was, was was with the XFL. Remember the old football league the start up with Vince McMahon and the yeah. WWE. I was thinking Where, about
0: Trump's. Uh, what was his? Well,
1: he was in the the uh, USFL. Football. No, USFL, USFL right. with the New Jersey Generals. Um, wasn't he the general? I think he was the Generals. Anyway, uh, Washington Generals. Yeah, it was. No, they were a little better than that. They had Doug Flutie and Herschel Walker and yeah. some other guys. But but the players are going. To, first of all, the teams are going to be having new. I was going to say third uniforms. For some of the teams, it's about their 43rd uniform. But also, on the back of the uniforms, they're all going to be allowed to put a oh, nickname, yep. whatever they want to be called, basically. I mean, And the reason I say the XFL, you remember the first big star in the XFL was a guy who came out, because they could do this for every game, and he ran out for the opening game of the XFL with He Hate Me on the back of his shirt. That was his name. And everyone's going, who's who He Hate Me? What do you think about the idea of guys being, you know, let's, let's personalize it. Let's let the players... Connect with the fans a little bit and be able to put on there the nicknames they have, their teammates have given them, whatever else. What do you think about the idea?
0: Well, you know that the Yankees have never had names on the back hundred of their something years, and for the first time ever, they're going to put the names on the back of their New York Yankees. And not even the jersey. names, like they're goofy gonna names. Put their, I was going to say, they're going to
1: put their nicknames down. Imagine and if this was in nineteen twenty something. Yeah, where it's like Bambino. You know, well, yeah, Bambino. Or uh, what, would, what would Lou Gehrig's nickname be? Oh, Iron Horse or, you know, whatever. I mean, it, how there's many... Some,
0: there's a lot of nicknames I know in dressing rooms you sure can't say in public.
1: Well, somebody made a joke, I don't know where I saw it, that if it was a hockey thing, it would be really boring because it would be Donnie and Scotty and yeah. and uh, whatever. Just add a Y to anyone's last name and that's... Well, no, uh, there's still a lot that can't oh be said outside well. <laughs> the dressing room. Trust me, there are a lot. And, and there'll be some whack jobs, put them on the
0: back of the sweaters. It's a gimmick. You know, when you, when you don't have credibility. Do you like it, though? Do you like the idea
1: to connect with the fans, to be fun, to be lighthearted, to let the players show some of their personality, those who have some personality? Do you like it? I think, I, I think you can do it in spots, but you, the problem is
0: you're going to have to force some nicknames and you're going to have to come up with some that don't make any sense and that probably aren't going to sell. And if you notice, uh, sports bra- broadcasters really do stay away from using a guy's nickname. And so on. So to use it, I guess when you're trying to brand yourself and find a niche,
1: probably not a bad idea. We'll see how the Yankees make out with it. But boy, yeah, we'll see a- if they sell any. Because the Yankee fans love the history of the team as well, as they should. Yep. It's one weekend, right? Yeah, but we'll see if those shirts sell because Yankee fans, I think, will be interested to see if they blanch at the idea or they think this is great. Because okay. you're right, the history of the team is we don't put that stuff on they there. They
0: might run with the tradition say it was a lot of fun for that weekend. We're going to give all the jerseys to charity. They're all going to be signed. They're going to make millions of dollars with these one-off jerseys. I think a new league that's – you talk about credibility and you walk in the door and say we're going to be credible and we're going to run it properly and we want real fans, we want real things. It's it's a little like WWF, but it might work. You know, it's 2017, maybe we're ready for it.
1: By the way, you talk about broadcasters and nicknames and how most of them stay away. I'll tell you, if there is one thing when I watch sports on TV – or in general with the media, myself included, and I try to avoid this. Maybe someone's going to say they caught me one time, although I don't think so. I hate Don with a passion. I don't hate Don. I hate, I was. I hate, comma, Don, comma, with a passion. People in the media who talk as if they are best buddies with the guys yep. they're covering. When you hear a golf announcer refer to Weirzy, unless you are Mike Weir's stepson or living in his basement... He's Mike Weir or he's Weir. He's not Weirzy. I agree. The only, and, and this is the one that I never, and Phil. Like with golf, golf is particularly egregious for this. They don't say Mickelson, it's Phil. Right? it's not, and the other one. How well, about it, Tiger? When, when was the last time you ever heard someone say, and Eldrick Woods with the putt? Yeah. No, it's Tiger. I mean, no one even knows Tiger Woods' first name hardly. It's Eldrick, but. The judges do. <laughs> I, was he called Tiger in court or was he called Eldrick? I don't know. Probably Mr. Tiger. I just I look at this thing and I I, I I that drives me nuts. That really drives me nuts when you are chatting this conversationally about guys you're covering. I agree. You because are covering, you're not likely you're their not best friend. You're their not, best
0: friend. You're not having a beer with them. No. If somebody in the dressing room is talking about a line
1: mate He's allowed to.
0: He can Although say Although it still sounds
1: stupid, but he's allowed to. Sure he is. But the but if you're covering them, don't go, Hey, how did how did I mean your nickname for some people call you a duck. How yeah. is duck? No, no. How is if I'm in, how is Robertson? That's that right. it, e, duck is for your friends. You're listening to the Scott Radley show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. A couple weeks ago as we change course to something a little more serious, in fact a lot more serious. A couple weeks ago, maybe 3 weeks ago, I'm not sure, but anyway, it was a little while ago. Uh, my next guest was on because we were chatting about waste in the city, not garbage waste, waste of money, waste of tax dollars. And this all stemmed from the fact that there had been a survey done around that time of people, it was either across Canada or across Ontario, I can't remember, but they were largely, and I mean like nine out of 10, were largely dissatisfied with the way their tax dollars were being spent. They felt they weren't getting bang for the buck, that cities, that provinces, that federal governments were loose and free and not really all that careful with their money. They didn't, well, maybe some did, but most didn't begrudge paying taxes. They just wanted the taxes they paid to be guarded like you would guard your own family income. Treat this like money that I have earned and worked hard for and given to you in trust that you would use it wisely. And they felt this was not happening. Well, why are we talking about this again today? Because When my next guest, which is Donna Skelly, uh, which we'll bring on in just one second, when she was here, she was talking about a parking lot at a senior's residence that was being, or an affordable housing project, I guess, that had started out as a, not an inexpensive, like $350,000 project, but that somehow inexplicably had exploded and all of a sudden was now $1.1 million and rising. And she brought this up on the show, and today she brought it up at City Council trying to get some answers. She joins me now. Councilor Skelly, thanks for being with us again tonight.
2: Nice to talk to you.
1: So that background, and you did, you explained very well last time you were here that whole situation of how this this expense just sort of went right through the roof inexplicably. What did we learn today when you brought this up at Council? What was the response?
2: Well, um, it actually it didn't come up today. it's coming up on Wednesday in our audit finance so put over it's, okay it's, it's not put over it's actually scheduled for it just happened to hit the media um, today and that's probably one of the reasons you're bringing it up. What's happening though and it, and it did happen today at our um, we have what we call GICs which is a, a meeting that we have prior to our council meeting and it we had one today. We have fewer of them fewer of these meetings through the summer months. And one of the issues that was raised today was the yet another issue about consultants. With the, the, the particular item that you're referencing, um, before I was elected, my previous, my predecessor had allocated a certain amount of money from his, what we call area ratings fund, so from his ward budget, for a parking lot expansion at a uh, seniors' residence, it's a public housing unit on the mountain, And this wasn't building or creating a new parking lot, but simply adding more spaces, some visitor spaces, some additional tenant spaces to the existing parking lot. Initially, uh, and they were also going to, as part of the project, change the entranceway. Well, initially, um, the consultants suggested that the entire project would cost about $350,000. At the end of the day, the final consultant's report came back at in excess of 1.1, closer to 1.2 million dollars. But throughout this period, um, money was being spent, and it was being spent without, in my opinion, proper authorization. So after this, this um, my predecessor um, gained council support to go ahead, and I think it was a worthy cause, believe me, uh, to have these additional parking spaces. I inherited the file, and I kept asking, well. When is the project going to start? Have they got a shovel in the ground? Who's overseeing this? And I couldn't seem to get any answers. Kept asking the questions. Who had the file? I had a, a bit of information, but I certainly didn't have the amount of information that we should have had. The information, the file uh, was all being kept at Hamilton Housing. So I pushed to meet with the consultant, and it was a it was a very difficult to get information from them. Originally, council agreed to spend $9,900 and plus HST on a consultant and to find out, you know, to go ahead and find out, cost out the project. Somehow, that consultant who was hired was given $115,000 without further consultation with the city or, in my opinion, any proper authorization um, or even um, we didn't follow the process when it comes to procurement, which is basically tendering projects, looking for the lowest bidder. So things started to fall apart when I finally found out that got the file and realized that 115,000 of this 350 had been spent on out-of-town consultants without a, following the procurement process and with nothing to show for it. I stopped the project, and, and, you know, that's when we uncovered the fact that it was actually up to $1.2 million at that point.
1: But how does this happen? This is what I – and we talked about this last time. We're going to talk about it again. How does this happen that – and the reason I say how does this happen, it's important because if this happened once, I have to believe that there are other projects around the city in your ward maybe, but probably in other wards wherever. This is this can't be the only place this is happening. How, how does this get away from us so that the money that you – and when I say you, I'm the collective you, uh, are looking after for us is just sort of going away and no one really knows what's happening. How does this happen?
2: Well, I think there are a lot of um, points to raise uh, regarding that that question. Number one, I do believe that you're right. I don't think it's an isolated incident. I think we're just scratching the surface. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I mentioned this to you a while ago, and and since then, um, it's almost as if every time i um, set out on a project i find that there's a lot of issues with waste of money and lack of oversight and proper governance governance and this is just one of probably three or four i'm going to be raising on wednesday and as i said it's almost as if every project that we embark on has issues associated with it In this particular situation, the person who was overseeing the project is no longer with Hamilton Housing. So that, I don't know what happened. I was never told. I'm not privy to it. But that person is gone. There was certainly a gap in oversight from when that person left Hamilton Housing and and where we are today. I've been promised by our general manager that this isn't going to happen again. And I... I take some comfort in knowing that this was raised and that the auditor, when I asked the city to investigate, they allowed uh, and and approved um, a motion that I put forward asking for the auditor to be brought in, and he pretty much confirmed what we had uncovered in our office, which was all of this this unaccounted-for expense and these ballooning costs for a parking lot. And then he went on to say that, you know, there are other issues with Hamilton Housing. My concern is... Something came before the the committee today, and it was put over because the mayor wasn't around, and he would like he wanted to be part of it. But it's it's um, the next step, and how we are going to uh, spend um, allocate funds of the fifty million that we're putting aside for Hamilton housing for our affordable housing in the city. And I'm concerned that with that amount of money, we're going to lose oversight, and we have to be very careful because. As you know, and you've heard it time and time again, um, we have a huge waiting list uh, for people who want affordable housing. So we we have the need for more housing, but do we have adequate oversight on the money that is being allocated for it? And after, you know, just this one incident, I'm not so sure we do. So luckily this came out before we we, we start um, going down the path of, of um, distributing funds, you know, this $50 million that we're going to be... Um, that we have already um, set aside for our housing projects. But in terms of what's happening, I think that we need to have better oversight. First of all, we need to really question why we use so many consultants. Again, we had a report this year saying that we spent something like $40 million on consultants last year. Why? That's a lot of money. And I had a report um, that was commissioned uh, for a project in my ward I waited for it. It was a consultant's report for a fashion incubator. It came forward when we talked about it, and the motion clearly said, look into um, ways or, or, or look at and try to gauge whether the city of Hamilton can sustain support a fashion incubator. Based on that motion, I made the assumption that the content of the report would include information related to Hamilton. The report came back after it was a ten thousand dollars, just under ten grand. Report came to my to my office. There wasn't one mention of the city of Hamilton in this report. And and and, and I just want to, if I may, the reason I'm raising that and is because I said, well, hang on a second, how could this possibly happen? And I asked for staff to come back and give me a list of all of the the. The consultants who have received money under ten thousand dollars, and how much this particular consultant has been paid over the last just this term of office, and it's you know in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So this is going to be another big issue. Again, why do we not?
1: Why do we not have? Within the city, I I believe that we have good people working with the city. I I don't believe that the city is filled with a bunch of dum-dums and people who are just holding jobs because they can't do anything. I think we have good people. Why must every consultant's report go to someone who is not with the city? Why could someone not on staff come up with a report looking at it isn't that what our staff is supposed to be doing if we're going to be building this fashion hub or whatever we want to call it why could someone who works for the city not do that and if these reports and you said on here before these things usually come in at like 200 250,000 you could hire someone for 100 grand and it would still be cheaper than doing a report out of out of sight why do we why can our staff not do these things
2: i don't know and why is it that as you said, they, they, you know, we need to hire a consultant. How much is it? It's going to be 200000 Why? Today, prime example, um, we needed money for, or the staff has asked for, an additional half a million dollars for St. Mark's Church. Councilor Brenda Johnson said, well, what is it for? Well, part of it, she said, why five hundred? Why not 100000 Why not a million? Well, again, and that's what happens. Well, we need money to, um, I think it's to hook up the, the plumbing, um, the sewer line. $240,000, she just about fell off her chair. I mean, why would it cost that much money to do that kind of work uh, when the infrastructure exists within the city of Hamilton? I think that, the, that one of the big issues that I'm starting to realize is that there's an assumption and almost like a, an acceptable amount of money that it costs to do this and the same amount of money it, it costs to do this. And nobody pushes back and says, why? Why can't we get it done cheaper? Uh, I've raised this with you before about the infamous Splash Pad. Yes. I started to yep. check in with other municipalities, and they're not paying what we're paying; they're paying a lot less. I say almost we pay almost double what other municipalities are paying. And so, I've got my staff and myself calling around, tracking what we can, you know, what, what why there's such a differential between what Hamilton pays and what, for example, the city of um, Thunder Bay. The Taj Mahal of all of all splash pads came in at three hundred and fifty thousand. The one at bare bones one in my ward is over six.
1: But I go back to my point again, and that is that if you about the how we can try to make this. I said it right off the top about our household. Now I know that a city doesn't run exactly like a household, so it's not a perfect example. But at the same time, if you were going to redecorate your house and you wanted to put in a new bedroom set, you don't have to go. To the most expensive furniture store on the planet to buy that stuff. Yes, it might be the best furniture, but very, very good furniture might be half the price at somewhere. We're not talking about buying cheap stuff that's going to fall apart the second you lie on it. But it, why does it have to always be the most expensive furniture store that we're shopping at?
2: I don't know. And and yet you're right. We tend to end up overpaying or at least paying. You know, a lot of money for a lot of the things that we are, the services that we're providing and the items that we're purchasing. I don't know if we're getting our value for dollar. Uh, and I, I, I'm i starting to, to question really whether we are. And I think that, as I said, it's almost as if every single project that my office has has set out to do, we've uncovered waste. And that's just me. And that's just in the course of the past 18 mm. months. And, you know, I'm thinking, how widespread is this? And what other what other areas of the city are, are performing in this way where we're not having staff stop and say, wait a minute here, are you sure we can't source this cheaper? And can we not provide this service more efficiently and more cost-effectively? I think we can. And I, I, I think we have to really stop step back and say we expect more from upper and senior managers because ultimately they that's where the buck stops I mean it has to well they ultimately to no
1: start. ultimately the buck stops with you and the counselors but what I'm hearing I got to be honest what I'm hearing when you talk about Brendan Johnson when you talk about others, I'm getting the sense that a lot of people on council, a number of people, maybe not a lot, I don't know, you could tell me, but are actually sharing your, starting to share your view of why are we spending so much money? I don't know if they all are. But if there's a fair number of counselors who are starting to actually ask these questions and follow up and say why, my question is why can we not resolve this then? Like how how difficult is this a just is this a giant barge that's going to take 4 miles to turn around or yeah. is this something that we could actually change?
2: It's a giant barge that's going to take 4 miles to turn around. It's a culture and I'm not sure we have everybody on on council convinced that there is a, a better way and a cheaper way of doing things um you know sometimes you know and staff are great don't get me wrong but you know we but it's our job you know not to become best friends with staff it's our job to be represent the taxpayer and to challenge and question staff to make sure that they're doing uh, the best that they can for the money that is being provided and you know maybe we haven't for a, for a while i, I but I'm hoping we can change it but I don't think it's something that's going to change overnight. But as I said, I'm concerned that it's far more widespread than than we realize.
1: Well, this city we know that uh, every time budget comes around that we are scraping and clawing to save pennies to just to keep taxes from going up too high and if we could find a bunch of these projects that could actually save some money there there's a solution right there if if there are councilors who are not interested in doing that I don't really know what they're doing I've got to be honest with you I don't it, it, this should be if you are using our money I, I'm sorry but that should be priority number one to make sure it's being used wisely and I know you s- believe that that's what you that's the platform you ran on but the fact is if there are people out there who really don't care or think oh you know what as long as it's close or as long as we don't completely blow everything that's that's I, I can't believe that there's anyone who would actually say that. But boy, oh boy! It, it, considering where we are financially in the city, we got to have a lot more finding these things and fixing them.
2: We do, and we have to be more aggressive with staff and, and uh, demand that they're more accountable. We also, you know, we'll have. Isn't it wonderful? Wonderful! They came in under budget. Well, maybe the budget was too high. Maybe we set the. You know what I'm saying? If, if, if. And I'm not saying that's terrible, but I'm, sometimes I look at the price of something and I think, "My goodness, that's a lot of money to build a a, a washroom in at, at a park."
1: Perhaps we should be shopping at IKEA a few times instead of always going to Holt Renfrew.
2: Exactly, you know, and and it's funny because
1: not that there's that anything wrong with IKEA.
2: <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> that's the point, is, though. I mean, it's fine. It's, it's good. It's,
2: it's decent, and, and it and it serves its purpose a lot of times. We don't always. Well, I mean, we need to have things that are that, that are going to hold up. Of course things. we do.
1: Of course we do. I don't
2: think anybody's suggesting otherwise, but I still think that we tend to um, to overpay. I think it's time that we started really looking at how we're spending our money, who is, is determining the price of something. One of the first things I noticed when I was elected, every and, and you raised this, every single time staff said, we had to have a, a study. It was two hundred thousand. It was never a hundred thousand. It was never ten thousand. It was a two hundred thousand dollar study, and and I raised it, and finally pushed back well, once. Well, we can do it for ninety two. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, it's it's just this. It's this. The, I, I really believe it's a cultural thing, and I think we now have to say no more. We have to change the culture, and we have to be held accountable, and and say you can't just. Assume that the project in that ward costs $200,000. Therefore, I have $200,000. No, if you can shop around and find a way of doing it cheaper, do it.
1: Counselor Donna Skelly, always appreciate the time. I'll be interested to see what happens Wednesday,
2: Wednesday. This at time Council. Yes. A lot, Trust me.
1: We will be listening. Thanks very much.
2: All right. Take care.
1: Uh, yes, I, there is nothing wrong with buying furniture at IKEA. You don't always have to buy the handmade mahogany stuff. You can occasionally buy something that serves a very good purpose that comes in a little bit cheaper, especially when we are in a city that doesn't have a lot of money to be spending a lot of money on the handmade mahogany stuff. If you get them, I hope you're keeping up with the metaphor here. The Scott Radley Show, weekdays from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900 CHML.